Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good day, week, month, year. No, nah, nobody's having a good year. Forget that part of it. Anyway, the good thing as we record this, it's December 7th. That means we're about three and a half weeks from getting beyond this awful 2020 year. The year continues on and the year in sports continues to get interesting. We're going to talk today a lot of football, obviously. We're talk a little SU hoops, and I'm going to remind you of a sport that used to be played that you haven't heard a thing about in about four months. And there's a reason you haven't had heard anything about it. But we'll get into that sport, the mystery sport, later on. Let's start with the NFL. Let's start with last night, Monday Night Football. And before I get into the Bills Niners, necessities, the grandfather of innovation or something is the old saying. During this pandemic, we've had a lot of strange scheduling dates in the NFL. The NFL has put a couple Monday night doubleheaders together. They always do it at the beginning of the year, start one at seven, then a West Coast game at 10. I don't think that necessarily works all that great. But I do think like yesterday, having an NFL doubleheader on a Monday night is not a bad idea. And going forward, having the potential to sell another window in the next television contract would not be surprised at all to see a 6.30, 9.30 Monday night doubleheader every week. Wouldn't shock me at all. And who knows, maybe the Thursday night game goes away, though I doubt it because Fox paid so much money for that. But it is a great thing to be able to watch back-to-back games on a Monday night I absolutely love it. They've had it about three or four times. Heck, I'm even excited. There's a Tuesday night game tonight to watch, even though it's my beloved Cowboys and they are god-awful and unwatchable. I'll still watch it. That's just the way I am. I know I'll still watch it, and I'll be annoyed as I do and try to think of better things. So, you know, we'll get through this. That's okay. If you're a Cowboy fan like me, Dak will be back, or maybe let's, you know, hope. Maybe Trevor Lawrence. They've only got two more wins in the Jets, and the Jets could win now that they fired Greg Will. Ah, man, I went jumped ahead again. All right, the Bills Niners last night, 34-24. Bills get a win, and this was a game that going into it, I, I didn't like the matchup for the Bills. I thought they might have a tough time. The Niners are decimated this year by injuries. They have lost more quality players than any other team in the league, in my opinion. You lose Joey Bosa for the year. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick Bosa for the year. You're losing one of the best young defensive players in the league. And then you throw on top of that George Kittle missing several games, Jimmy Garoppolo missing several games. Kyle Shanahan's a very good offensive mind. He's always going to find mismatches and opportunities. And I really think Nick Mullins kind of a Gardner Minshew type player where you can play short stretches with a quarterback like that. He's not a great quarterback by any stretch, but he's solid enough to get things done. You know the Bills' defense isn't what we thought it was going to be. It hasn't been all year. I figured Shanahan would be able to score points and figure out a way to score points. I thought the 49ers defense, which recently got Richard Sherman back, was starting to trend better. 
But, man, what I did not see was that Josh Allen was going to announce to the world that he really is an MVP candidate. Now, look, I'm not saying Josh is going to win the MVP or should win the MVP. In my opinion, it is a two-and-a-half-horse race for MVP. I think Derrick Henry is the half-horse because if Tennessee finishes winning the AFC South, I think that Derrick Henry needs to be a legitimate candidate. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is going to be a candidate, and I think right now the leader in the clubhouse is Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers having a great year. But Josh Allen will get a lot of votes. And what he did last night on a national stage was to show a lot of people who've been doubting him since his days at Wyoming, through the draft, through his first couple years at Buffalo, that what he's done early on this year is no fluke. Some of the throws he made last night were some of the best throws I've ever seen Josh Allen make, frankly. He was on target for most of the night. He didn't even have one of those Josh moments where you see a throw and it's like, what was that? The early miss to Lee Smith on fourth down, he expected Lee Smith to sit down in that zone. And frankly, he should have because he's going towards the defender. So Allen throws it as if he's going to stop. Smith continues on. That's where I I got a question not having Tyler Croft active and having Lee Smith active. I get it. It's about the running game. Smith's a better blocker. But I still think Tyler Croft in those situations is an adequate blocker and a far, far better wide receiver. So that was one of those throws that I think we look at and say that's Josh on, on, not on target. Reality is it's miscommunication between Smith and Josh Allen. For the night, Josh, though, 32 of 40, 375 yards, four touchdowns, just amazing. Early on, the first half, it was the Cole Beasley show. Beasley was great. Beasley caught nine balls for 130 yards and a touchdown, and the touchdown he caught was another great Josh Allen throw. Beasley gets about a yard into the end zone and turns, the ball's on him as he turns and hits him right between the ones in the front of his jersey, a Josh Allen fastball that found its mark. And, you know, again, all of this offense and what the Bills have done, Josh Allen's growth, there's a name I don't think gets enough credit. He gets a lot of credit, but I don't think he's getting enough, and it's Brian Dable. Dable very likely will be – a hot candidate this year as coaches get fired on Black Monday and then teams look to replace them. I got to think a team bringing in a young quarterback is going to find a Brian Dable to be a very attractive head coach option. You look at his development with Allen, the relationship he's established with Allen, the way the two of them have taken this offense, which was a very mediocre offense at best and turned it into the best offense the Bills have had since the mid nineties. I mean, you think about this, they're scoring almost 30 points a game and it's, it's fun to watch and the way they do it is fun. Now last night started strangely. Again, the Bills don't convert on that fourth down A phantom pass interference call on Levi Wallace keeps the Niners drive alive 
and allows them to go on this long drive. Bills have a great goal line stand and get it back only to have Allen and Moss, Zach Moss, mishandle a fumble. Niners get it back and score. So the Bills don't score on their first possession. Niners score on theirs. But then the Bills go five plays, 77 yards for a touchdown. Bills get it back. They go 14 plays, 69 yards, and a touchdown. They then kick a field goal at the end of the half. They get the ball first time in the third quarter, go 11 plays, 75 yards for a touchdown. They kick the field goal after a turnover the following possession. And then the next possession, 10 plays, 75 yards. The Bills scored on six consecutive possessions. And they were all, other than the field goal, that they went minus four yards, 77, 69, 71, 75, 75 yards. These are drives. These are long, game-controlling drives. So, you know, in a night where Josh Allen was great, the offense, Beasley, had a nice night, as I talked about. Diggs had 10 catches, 92 yards. Gabriel Davis had three catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. It was about the fact that they were able to mix it up. Devin Singletary had 18 carries last night. Zach Moss, because he almost fumbled early on, he was down. It was initially ruled a fumble, and then the missed handoff. I think he, the rookie saw some time on the bench because of that. Had only three carries on the night. I like what Dable has been doing with the running game, trying to get that more and more. And I think as this season goes on, there's a couple weather games coming up. I think the running game is going to be even more important going forward. The, the Bills now 9-3. and three. They lead the Dolphins by a game. The Dolphins win again this week over Cincinnati. I'll talk about that. But the Bills have the Steelers come into town this week. Steelers have suffered their first loss of the season last night to Washington, are going to come in hungry. That's going to be a tough game, but I also think it's a game that Sean McDermott has this year, not the defense he likes to have. But what he's been able to do is make teams one-dimensional. If you're really good at one thing, take that away. Go back to the Kansas City game. Sean McDermott was not going to let Patrick Mahomes throw for 450 yards. He was going to force them to run the ball. Kansas City ran the ball for over 200 yards, controlled the game, and won the game. If you could take away one thing, you force the team to do something else. And if the team's not balanced, then that becomes a problem. The Steelers are not balanced. They can't run the football. I would expect Sean McDermott to play nickel defense all night, maybe even some dime packages, and force Pittsburgh to run the football if they can. It's going to be a fun game. But then the following two games are on the road. Denver this time of year, that's a weather game. New England this time of year, certainly a weather game. And then close out the season at home against Miami. The Dolphins, they, they have Kansas City this week in Miami. Then the Patriots in South Florida. Then the last two on the road with them traveling to Vegas to play the Raiders before they finish in Buffalo. Ideally, the Bills would like nothing more than have a week 17, game 16, mean nothing. They have a one-game lead at this point. If they could pick up a game over the next three, over the Dolphins, and clinch that division, that would be even better. 
there's no chance, in my opinion, that the Bills end up with the first round buy. Remember, there's only one buy in the playoffs this year. The Steelers and Chiefs both have one loss. They're tied. The Steelers and Bills play Sunday, so we'll see who gets the tiebreaker there. But the Chiefs already own the tiebreaker over the Bills, which would mean at the worst case scenario, the Chiefs would have to lose three of the next four and the Bills would have to win out for the Bills to get the home tiebreaker over Kansas City. So it's not going to happen. You need to create your own buy. And the way you do that is by sewing up your business in the 15th game so you can rest your starters in week 16. It wasn't all great last night. It was another average showing by the defense. The defense gave up a lot of yards. Nick Mullins threw for over 300. The Niners were able to run the football fairly consistently. Unfortunately for the Niners, unfortunately for the Bills, they created a couple turnovers. Tredavious White and Micah Hyde each had interceptions. But there were no sacks last night for the Bills. They did get a little bit of pressure on Mullins, but this is a defense that continues to be a work in progress. The good news is that Micah Hyde, I'm sorry, that Matt Milano is back from injury. He didn't do a whole lot last night, provided some depth. A.J. Klein still playing better than he had been. Uh, the Bills were able to get some pressure from the inside. Ed Oliver was disruptive again, so that was a, a good thing to see. Tremaine Edmonds made a great play down at the goal line. Didn't hesitate, got in there, and, and stopped the ball carrier, drove him backwards. But too often I see Tremaine Edmonds not going 100% into a hole. It's almost a tentative motion. There was a play last night where running back turned the corner, and the play was going away from Edmonds, but he was jogging after it. And I, I didn't like to see that. This is a young man who I think has tremendous potential, and he's gotten better since the injury earlier in the season. It just needs to be better. The, the Bills have a decision to make on this young man about his fifth-year option. I would expect them to pick it up. He's a very good player. But when you're drafted in the first round and you're essentially made the captain of the defense – you're expected to be a great player, and I don't think Tremaine Edmonds is that right now and is trending towards that. So something certainly to keep an eye on. It was funny. I was looking at the Bills, and I'm thinking after this year, you know, what, what's the need? And amazingly, they need defensive tackle. They're going to go defensive player again, I think, early on. Remember, the first pick this year was A.J. Epidenza. They went first-round defensive line two years ago with Ed Oliver. They've gone defense in the first round every year, or their first pick, either or. Every year McDermott's been there. Tredavious White the first year. The second year, Edmonds was the second first-round pick, but they went first round with him. Then Ed Oliver, last year Epinenza. And I think defense will be the need again this year. And I, as much as Levi Wallace has had a few minutes and of good play, I think finding another cornerback, a good young cornerback opposite Tredavious White would go a long way to helping Sean McDermott play the defense 
he wants to play. One, one final thing, Josh Allen now on the season, and I, I can't believe we're three-quarters of the way through the season, and these are his numbers. 69.9% completion percentage. Josh Allen is very close to being a 70% passer, something I honestly never thought he would be. I never thought the style of football he plays and the accuracy issues he had, he would be above a 66% passer. I just didn't see it. Here he is with four games to play, nearing 70%. He's at 3,400 yards. He has a chance to, I think, easily get to 4,500 yards, which, again, I didn't see that. 26 touchdowns, probably end up somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 touchdowns, and the eight interceptions, quarterback rating of 105.9. He's also run for six touchdowns as well. Remember those numbers, because I'm now going to fast forward to the rest of the league. And when I talk about a quarterback who everybody said should have been drafted, should have been the guy. The Bills missed by not getting this guy and had to settle for Allen. Well, I I didn't think that was the case then, and I certainly don't think it's the case now. And that guy is Sam Darnold. The Jets ensured, well, at least for the week, they've ensured the fact that they're going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is the best quarterback to come out of college and into the NFL since Andrew Luck. And by scouting reports, apparently Andrew Luck was the highest rated prospect since John Elway, which tells you something about how well thought of Andrew Luck is. I've not seen a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence in college football since Andrew Luck. So if the Jets or Jags, whichever team gets him, it's going to be an immediate turnaround for that franchise. And both will have job openings this year, but it's going to now make those jobs much more enticing. Sam Darnold, before I get to how the Jets lost and all of that, I got to talk about Sam Darnold. Because this kid hasn't approved since he left USC. You can blame it on on Adam Gase. You can blame it on the situation. But the Jets are a better team right now with Joe Flacco at quarterback than they are with Sam Darnold. Flacco, I think, understands certain nuances that I don't know if Sam Darnold will ever get. This year, he's only played eight games. And again, he's had an injury that's kept him out that's been One of the things with Darnold, 58.9% completion percentage. He said 1,428 yards. So extrapolate that to 16 16 games. You're looking at 2,850 yards. He's had five touchdowns and nine interceptions. A quarterback rating of 67.2. Sam Darnold hasn't improved. Sam Darnold may go somewhere, sit on a bench or develop and become that guy, but he's not that guy now and he's not even close. And while he may have skills, it's not translating to the football field whatsoever. The Jets, they're, they're a joke franchise and they have a lot of work to do. Quinnen Williams has been an absolute beast. So they have their linchpin on defense, but man, do they need offense. Mekhi Becton has been great at the left tackle when healthy, but 
this is a team that needs to move on from Sam Darnold and go in a different direction. And obviously most Jet fans are hoping that different direction ends up being Trevor Lawrence. But I got to throw this out there. They've got no wins. The Jags have one win. The tiebreaker for the draft, should they both end up with the same amount of wins, is weakness of schedule. Whichever team had the weaker schedule, they would get the number one pick. The Jags will certainly beat the Jets in that tiebreaker come the end of the year. So if you're a Jets fan, Sunday was even more important. Now let's talk about Sunday. Greg Williams, who is one of the most overrated defensive coaches and coaches in the history of the league. He was a horrific head coach for the Bills. Just awful. Went to Washington, didn't get it done there as a head coach. Became a defensive coordinator down in New Orleans, and Bounty Gate happened, and he was in the middle of that. Goes to Los Angeles, doesn't get it done there. Goes to Cleveland, is part of the staff that lost every game except for one over a two-year period. This is a guy who continues to get chances, and I don't understand that. He's, he's a bad coach, and he's a bad guy. And, and what's crazy about it, his approach, while create, careless, it wasn't totally off base. You have to pressure the quarterback in a situation like that. However, there's two parts of that. If you want to rush more than four, you want to rush five, that's fine. Play two deep safeties. Just make sure nobody gets behind you. It's pretty simple, actually. The only way you lose that game is to give up a touchdown. There's under 20 seconds in the game. So, therefore, just keep guys in bounds and out of the end zone. Shouldn't be that hard to do. They almost gave up a touchdown the play before because the receiver had gotten beyond the players. I don't like defensive timeouts there. That might have been a good time for a defensive timeout. That might have been a very good time for a defensive timeout. When you see that breakdown, you got to call a timeout and let your safeties know. Your feet should start at like the 10-yard line to let nobody get behind you. But to blitz eight and have man-to-man coverage, and Henry Ruggs, who was drafted out of Alabama because they think he could be the next Tyreek Hill, is manned up? It was a great throw by Derek Carr. Too much time, I think, has been spent on the Jets not having a, a proper defense and not enough time on what a great throw it was by Derek Carr in the situation. But, man, Greg Williams... For him to go out the way he went out, he got fired on Monday. Adam Gase relieved him of his duties, as he said to the New York press. It was deserved. And if you're a Jets fan, while that play might have been the best thing to happen to the Jets, it's tough to watch. But I guess you got to ask this question. Why was only Greg Williams fired and not Adam Gase? Well, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network has the answer to that. Yeah, and of course, Tom, the irony of, of this entire thing is depending on where the Jets end up 
when the season's over, if if they have the number one pick, this call, this mind-numbing call by Greg Williams will probably go down as one of the more important in Jets history. Not that anyone wants to acknowledge that now, but that's the reality. And then you'll look at the rest of the coaching staff. It really, guys, does not seem like Jets management, like Jets ownership wants to make a move. They would like to see Adam Gates and the rest of his coaches finish out the season. And as, as far as the possible reason why they would like these guys to finish the season, it's sort of like what would be the point of, of firing everyone now? The season is what it is. They're going in the direction that they're going. You'd like two full years to, eva- to evaluate everyone. Uh, and does firing someone like, let's say, Adam Gates really get you anything right now? Probably not. So it's just Greg Williams today, and I would expect that to continue. He may not have gotten fired this week, but Adam Gates will certainly be fired the minute the season's over. You cannot go forward with that guy as your head coach. It's just amazing that this Jets franchise has not gotten it right. And it's ironic that the last coach they fired was Todd Bowles one of the leading coaches in this coaching cycle is going to be Todd Bowles. He'll get another chance at the head job somewhere. I don't think the Jets will reach out to him again. They've already been down that road. But it's just amazing how this franchise continues to get it wrong. But if they get Trevor Lawrence, immediately that franchise will turn around. The Saints have continued to win without Drew Brees. They, they didn't lose a game last year when Brees was hurt. They haven't lost a game this year. Taysom Hill finally threw a couple touchdown passes. He hadn't done that yet. Ran for 83 yards, threw for 230. The Saints, as I continue to say, their defense is a stronger part of the game. And at 10-2, and two, they're going to be in a great position in the NFC. I don't think they can go on the road and beat a team like the Packers. But I do think that should they get home field advantage and Green Bay has to go there, I think those are the two best teams in the NFC. And I think that's going to be a great game. And I'm not sure the Packers can beat the Saints in the Dome. Again, get Drew Brees up in the weather. I I do think that the Packers have a significant advantage. It's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. I mentioned the Packers. They beat the Eagles on Sunday, 30-16. to The big news there wasn't about Aaron Rodgers and his 400 touchdown pass. It was about the fact that Jalen Hurts finished up that game at quarterback for Philadelphia, and it's not because Carson Wentz was injured. Carson Wentz has regressed horribly. I mean, I I really don't understand or know what's going on there because this was a guy a couple years ago before he got injured with that knee in the game against L.A. I was convinced that this guy was going to be a quarterback that the Eagles had for 10 years and just was going to be a stud and, you know, as somebody who roots against the Eagles as much as possible. I thought this was going to be a problem for a long time to come. I don't know what happened. I don't know where it went wrong, but I do know this. Carson Wentz, it's sideways and it's not coming back. It's like driving a car in the snow and you start fishtailing down the road. There comes a point where you know you're not going to be able to correct it anymore and you end up in the ditch. Carson Wentz is in that ditch. The Colts beat the 
the Colts helped the Dolphins because they beat the Texans. The Texans are just having a snake bit year. They're a good team. And now without Bill O'Brien calling the shots, I think they have a chance to add to the talent that they have. They may need to move on from some players to create potential draft picks to get back because they don't have any draft picks. The Dolphins have their picks. But Deshaun Watson, who still playing great football, is inside the 10-yard line inside a minute and looks like the Texans are going to score a touchdown to win the game. He fumbles a snap. It was a bad snap, but wasn't able to catch it. And the Colts recovered when they're eight and four. I'm not a believer in them. I don't think they win a playoff game, but I certainly think they'll be in the playoff game. So the Dolphins, that's good. Every loss for the Texans is good for the Dolphins because they own that first round pick. Well, the Dolphins get a win over the Bengals. Tua was good. Uh, Miles Gaskin got the ball 21 times on the ground. I think that's more important because the Dolphins are going to win games because of their defense. But Brian Flores, who many people thought might lose the team by deciding to go from Fitz, incredibly popular in the locker room, to the rookie, Tua, well, you get a locker room back when you try to fight for your guys. And I mean fight literally. He had to be restrained after some things went on. This was a weird game. There were three ejections for the Dolphins and a couple for the Bengals. It was a strange game. I didn't know there was a rivalry here. But, yeah, circle it on your calendar four years from now when they play again because that that game was pretty ugly. The Vikings might have the offensive rookie of the year. And Justin Jefferson, I've talked about him, it seems, every week. Again, 121 yards, another touchdown. They come back in OT to beat the Jags. Vikings aren't a good team. Well, I shouldn't say that. They're not a very good team. They're a decent team. They're 6-6. Six and six. They started 1-5. The only game they lost in that stretch was to the Cowboys, who are an awful team. But it's just crazy to think that the Vikings, starting 1-5, a lot of whispers about what's going to change up there in Minnesota. Uh, one thing that's not going to change is Mike Zimmer is going to be regarded as a heck of a football coach, and he continues to get the most out of his guys. I don't think they'll finish in the playoffs, but I think they have a shot. And certainly getting to nine wins after a one-in-five start would be a great accomplishment for the Vikings. Speaking of great accomplishments, the Cleveland Browns are now also a 9-3 and football team, and I think that's a great accomplishment. Their defense is legit, and Miles Garrett is the linchpin of that defense. Not a lot's being said about Miles Garrett, and I think a lot of it goes back to last year. The way that transpired with the Steelers and the fact he was suspended for the year, I don't think people are ready to jump on board with how great Miles Garrett is, but this guy might be the defensive player of the year. It's probably going to come down to he or TJ Watt, but the Browns, if they get any sort of passing game to complement the great running game, that defense is legit. And this is a team that in weather games and in playoff football, defense and running games travel. 
they're going to be a tough out. Baker Mayfield may have had his best game of the year, 25 at 33, 334 and four touchdowns in that game. Excellent, excellent game for the Browns. They continue to roll. And tonight, if you're a Browns fan, you got to root for the Cowboys. Because if the Cowboys can knock off the Ravens, that would be a huge thing. And with the Steelers losing finally to the Reds, the Washington football team yesterday, well, maybe, and it's not far-fetched because they play each other, maybe the Browns have a chance to catch the Steelers. Again, I don't think it can happen, but it's a possibility. So something to keep an eye on there. I mentioned the Washington football team winning over the Steelers, and I think that's important to say it that way because it's not only that the Steelers lost, it's that the Washington football team won. They have invested so heavily on that defensive line. They have four first-round draft picks up front. Chase Young looks like an absolute beast. Reminds me of a young Bruce Smith, to be honest with you. He will gain some size and maintain that quickness. Just a great, great player. Ron Rivera getting it done. Alex Smith, it's great to see. Comeback story of the year, playing good football. The Steelers' defense has taken a small step back, and injuries do that. Bud Dupree, Devin Bush both being out. Those are big losses for this Steelers team. They don't run the ball particularly well. They've got to figure that out, and if they don't, I'm not sure how deep this Steeler team can go, even though they won their first 11 games. It's, it's going to be a, a challenge. And if you've listened to Mike Tomlin postgame over the last few weeks, was it just that they lost yesterday? They haven't been playing good football over the last couple of weeks. they got to get that turned around. The Rams are playing good football, it seems, every other week. There's not a consistent thing with the Rams, and – up until this week, maybe the only consistent thing was Jared Goff turning the ball over. And Sean McVay let the media know that they can't turn it over anymore. Their quarterback can't. Well, they didn't turn it over this week. And because of that, they got a nice win over the Cardinals. Goff, for his part, 351 yards, no turnovers. That's a good football team also and a team that I think could do a lot of damage in the playoffs. One of the guys I really like who's not going to be around next year as a head coach is Anthony Lynn. And I I think Anthony Lynn is a guy who's got a lot of character. He's a very strong man. And I I like him as a leader. Unfortunately, you, you saw what happened against Buffalo with the horrific time management at the end of that game. It's inexcusable. It can't happen. That's going to hurt him. But the following week, to go to New England, to have New England beat you 45 to nothing. 45 to nothing. If you were looking at those rosters, you would easily select the Chargers roster over the Patriots. More talent almost everywhere. Yet you lose 45 to nothing. Anthony Lynn reassigns the special teams coach before the game. Well, last week, I should say. And the special teams regressed. It's not good. Anthony Lynn's going to be out of a job. And again, that's that's a very attractive job going in with a young quarterback and an excellent defense with talent already there. 
I think the right coach can turn that thing around very quickly. Last game I wanted to mention is the Kansas City-Denver game. And Kansas City now has gotten to a point where they don't score a touchdown on every possession. It's like, huh, that was weird. And that was the game Sunday. They didn't score touchdowns. They kicked field goals. Patrick Mahomes only threw one touchdown pass. Well, he threw three. One got called back and one was incorrectly called. But it was a strange game. It was as if they just didn't have everything working. I'll say this. They they didn't have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He wasn't there. He was sick all week, lost some weight. He was dressed, didn't play. Le'Veon Bell did. And everyone raves about Le'Veon Bell being a suitable replacement. They lose something when Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not in there. Le'Veon Bell's not the same guy he was. He used to be the best back in the league. He's now a solid NFL running back and nothing more. He fits that system well and gives him depth. But he's not a special player. I think Alaire will be eventually. He may not be yet, but I think he will be eventually. So something to keep an eye on there should injuries creep up. Kansas City, they're, they're too good not to win the Super Bowl this year. I really think it's their Super Bowl to lose. And if they do lose it, it's going to be a lot of discussion as to how it happened. I just, sometimes it doesn't click. It didn't click Sunday out against the Broncos. And credit to the Broncos. Vic Fangio, who doesn't have Von Miller, his best defensive player, has put a good defense on the field. Now, there's a lot of rumors Fangio may be in trouble. I don't expect him to get fired. And I mentioned last week in my rundown of coaches' hot seats that there's a possibility. I just look at what he's done on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's been pretty good. They lose Cortland Sutton in one of the first games. I think it was the first game of the year this year as a wide receiver. Jerry Judy hasn't really given them a whole lot. Drew Locke has been up and down. There's work to be done. But I think more of it falls on John Elway than it does on Vic Fangio. So keep an eye on what goes on in Denver. So that's the NFL story for the week. College basketball, SU hoops now 3-0. and And after a opening game one-point win over Bryant, there were a lot of questions about SU. And would they be a team like last year that, loses games early on that you got to win. Well, this year's a little different in college basketball, just like everything else, because you didn't have the time to to build in a few cupcakes and get your team together. Going to be missing players. Well, SU played last week two games without Buddy Beheim, their best scorer at this point. Beheim was in close contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID. So he's going to miss some time. I don't expect him to be ready for tonight's game. They play Rutgers in the ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight. But it was almost a good thing that Buddy sat out. And and I'll explain. They first played Niagara, my beloved Purple Eagles, coached by Greg Paulus, one of the best young coaches in the country. But this is a game that showed talent matters. And Niagara's talent is nowhere near 
the comparison in a comparison of Syracuse talent. Syracuse won the game by 30. Quincy Garrier had 23 and 13. The best part of it to me was the fact that without Buddy Beheim, Katari Richmond, the freshman who Beheim has raved about, and Beheim doesn't rave about freshmen, got the start. And the kid shined. He had 16 points, seven boards, six assists. He plays with a slowness, and I mean that in a good way, that allows him to get things done. Great players, I'm going to talk about another great player who did that in a minute. Sometimes the game is going much faster than they are, but they're in complete control. And Kadari Richmond, I'm not saying he's a great player yet. He just seems to be calm. He just seems to go a little slower and, and, and sees the floor well. So the Niagara game, they shot it okay. But then they played Ryder on Saturday night. And this was where, again, not having Buddy in there, I think helped potentially long-term. Kadari gets another start, and he wasn't as good. But still, seven points, seven assists, seven rebounds, I should say, six assists. Very solid performance. But without Buddy... Somebody else has got to shoot. First two games against Bryant and against Niagara, Joe Girard shot horribly. Against Ryder, he took a couple good shots early, and they went in. And he ended up making six threes in the game. Joe Girard can shoot the ball. He hasn't shot it well except for this game. I think the fact that he had time because Buddy was out, had more shots because Buddy was out, allowed him to have the game against Ryder, which will settle him down, and I expect him now to play a lot like he did last year. So Buddy being out did two things. It gave Kadari Richmond some time and allowed him to get some experience. It gave Joe Girard more shots and allowed him to calm down a little bit and, and not Forced the ball. He still had five turnovers against Ryder, and that can't happen. He's got to take a, take better care of the ball. Alan Griffin had a nice night again. Griffin is as advertised, and this kid can really shoot it. So I, I like this team long term, and I like this team where they're going. I don't know how quickly they can gel and how well defensively once they get in to the ACC schedule, and that actually starts Saturday. They play Boston College in Chestnut Hill on Saturday. So we're, we're going to find out real quick how not having Brahma Sidibe in the middle is going to affect this team. What are the young guys going to be able to do in the ACC? Guys like Woody Newton, who's shown some things the last couple weeks. Kadari, I expect to see a lot of time, especially if either Buddy or JG3 struggle. It, it's great to have a bench that you can go to. Quincy Garrier, I think, will be fine. He's He's been consistently putting up rebound numbers, maybe not always going to get the 23 points he did against Niagara, but come close to double-digit rebounds on a nightly basis, and I'll take that from him. Now, with the talk of SU, I, I, I heard this earlier. And it's one of those stories that – I just really liked Lawrence Moten 
who's the all-time leading scorer at SU, and he'll be the first to tell you, and he did when I had him on my radio show, all-time leading scorer in Big East history. Well, he wasn't until last year anyway. He was passed last year. But he, at the time, in the real Big East, was the all-time leading scorer. And he had a knack. And, and the thing about Moten, if you remember watching him play, you're not old enough to have seen him play. You see the name and the jersey and the rafters, and you hear things. He played with a calm, he, smoothness, just an ability. But he was a guy who, as a freshman, was really good, too. And this story, he, he appeared on Eric Devendorf's podcast, told the story of his first scrimmage and the reaction to it by the legendary coach. Check this out. Having the practices, you know, when I came to Syracuse and practicing with the guys, even playing pickup with the guys, I was holding my own. And, you know, and then we happened to have an orange and blue scrimmage. You, you yeah. know about orange and blue scrimmage? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I ended up giving them 40. <laughs> freshman year, 40. Yeah, yeah, freshman year, 40. So, so DJ – DJ Dave Johnson, man, came to me, man, and I never forget it. I was in practice. We we was getting ready to uh, to go to practice. We were in the locker room, and DJ said, "Man, coach, you will believe what he said to me, Mo. What he said." So you know, I'm a young. I'm like, "What he say, D? What he say?" He said, "Man, he walked me in my. He he told me to come to the office and walked him in the office and slammed the door." He turned around and said, did you see that fucking Moten? <laughs> yeah. So once D told me that, it kind of gave me the confidence, just, man, just play. Just play. Yeah. You know, and, and I um, I did that, man. You know, you know, I, um, I took pride in, in, in getting steals and little, you know, putbacks, whatever it took, man. I was always, even growing up, I might sound weird, but I used to, it was like six points a quarter. That's, that was in my head. You know, Beheim has always been hesitant to give freshmen too much unless you're a special freshman. Carmelo Anthony, Jerry McNamara, they started from day one and they ended up cutting down the nets in New Orleans with a championship. Lawrence Moten got 40 in a scrimmage and went on to become the all-time leading scorer. I don't think Katari Richmond is a special talent like those guys. But when you look at this kid and you look at the way he plays and, and defensively, the kid's got long arms. He's getting to get his hands on a lot of passes. Big guards at the top of the zone has always been a thing. So whether it's Buddy Bayheim at 6-6 and Katari Richmond, that, that, that zone is going to be better than when JG3 is there. And as much as I enjoy watching JG3 play, keep an eye on that as the season goes. If Gerard struggles, I think Bayheim is going to have somewhat of a quick hook with him, because not because of Gerard, because he knows that he's got something in Qatari Richmond. Again, let's see how it plays out. And let's see tonight in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, how the freshman does. I, I, I expect he'll be okay. I don't 
would expect him to have a triple double pump the brakes, but just watch the way the kid plays. I think there's something there. So we've talked basketball. We've talked football. Baseball winter meetings are going on, and you're hearing some things about that, potential player movements coming up and maybe free agent signings. There used to be a fourth sport, you know, baseball, football, basketball. and was it soccer. No, no. Oh, hockey. Hockey. I forgot about hockey. Yeah, you probably forgot about hockey, too. You know why? Because there isn't any. What is going on with the NHL? The NBA is set to tip off their season a couple days before Christmas. They've got everything in place and camps are open. We're having camps shut down because of COVID exposures. But we're not hearing anything about hockey. Why? Last time we knew, the NHL was in a bubble. They handed out the Stanley Cup and they signed a new CBA in the midst of a pandemic and even I gave Gary Batman credit, and I never give Gary Batman credit for anything because he's a moron. Well, Gary Batman is back to being a moron. The NHL is trying to figure things out, and, you know, they're not alone. There's a lot of businesses trying to figure things out. Unfortunately, the longer they go trying to figure things out, the more they're going to hurt their product. There is no talk of an NHL season beginning anytime soon. Three to four weeks minimum to put a season together and get training camps open to get things going. So as we speak, that means mid-January is the best case scenario. That's if everything comes together quickly and they're not even close. The NHL is trying to renegotiate the contract to get the players to defer more money, not only this year, but next year, because there are no stand, no fans in the stands. There's huge losses of revenue, and it's a bad situation. In 2013, the NHL had a lockout and ended up coming back with a 48-game season. They started January 19th. There's a lot of concern, and a lot of these leagues, which went long, want to get back to the timing being right, and maybe not because of when they play, but they're television partners. NBC, which owns the rights to all the NHL playoffs, they will be broadcasting the Olympics starting in mid-July. They don't want the NHL going into mid-July. They want it done by the end of June or early July at the latest. So it's not as if an 82-game season is going to happen at this point. It's just a matter of how many games are going to be agreed to. Well, there's... That problem, and and the less games played, obviously, the less money the players will make, and now the NHL is asking them to defer more money. It's not a good situation for the players. It's certainly not a good situation for the owners either. But there's also the huge elephant in the room, the COVID situation, as far as crossing the border into Canada. There's still six teams in Canada. How do you navigate that? Well, there's been talk of realignment and having a Canadian division and then having a couple American divisions. So in Canada, six teams are going to play each other, what, like seven times each? It's it's crazy to me that this is how you're going to run a season. And again, I don't know the answer and I don't have 
a suggestion other than that simply doesn't work. Nobody is suggesting a bubble because we're be talking about a bubble for six or seven months. Players simply aren't willing to give up six or seven months of their life to go in a bubble. They were willing to do it for a month or two. But the NHL has always been the fourth sport. And soccer maybe is eventually going to become the fourth sport. But it, it's just always seems to be behind. It always seems to be poorly run. The decision to put it on a network called Versus that nobody even knew where it was at the time and their their inability to find ways to nationally market this sport. It's just been one mistake after another, and it continues to end up at the feet of the same guy, Gary Bettman. And he continues to draw a huge paycheck for running this sport into the ground. There are a lot of hockey fans out there, and I know in Rochester there's a ton of fans who wish they could go see an Amherst game. Well, I'm here to tell you, if there's no NHL games on the horizon, there are no Amherst games on the horizon either. And frankly, I would fully expect that the NHL this year does not have a minor league system set up to play games. I would expect them to do something very similar to what was what went on last season with baseball. There were no minor leagues, but there were some there were camps where the minor leaguers played and worked out. I would expect that to be the case for the AHL players and their teams this year. So uh, just a lost season. The last we saw the NHL, everything was great. It's just, again, inability to get things done by the leadership. And it's Gary Bettman, and it's his crew. So the hockey fans, you have my sympathy. Hopefully they'll get it done by the end of the year, and maybe February 1st could be a realistic start date and play a 45-game schedule, get it done by the end of by the end of June, but uh, with no discussions and no progress seemingly out there, you in frankly the travel is a huge part of this as well. I, I just don't see it happening, and I feel bad for a lot of people who really enjoy a great sport. So that's the podcast for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll talk next week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.